Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and today we're going to be talking about all things public cloud. Well, specifically how the cloud can really help transform businesses and why financial services are so behind that curve. Joining me to discuss this are some amazing guests in this space. First up, we have Corey Hamilton, partner, IBM Security Services. Welcome to the show, Corey. How are you doing? Oh, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Doing well, David. Fantastic. And next up, we have Michael Dawson, who is the Managing Director at IBM. Thank you very much for joining us, Michael. How's things? Everything's good. Thank you for having me. Uh, and last, but by no means least in this sense, we have making his FinTech Insider debut after all of these years. It is Ewan Silver, Group CTO at 11FS. How's it going, Ewan? Yeah, it's not bad, David. I obviously must have taken a bang to the head to let Laura track me down on this one. <laughs> I, I, like you're gonna be fine. Like you know, don't say that at the top. It's like everything everything is good. All right. Uh, well, what we're going to be doing, uh, and maybe just to set the scene a little bit on this one, is I mean, obviously fintech is driving FS innovation globally at this stage. And if you're now building FS products from scratch, cloud fundamentally is where you're going to be starting with those things. It's no longer really a question. You know, no longer are people trying to figure out where they're going to put their three data centers before they actually start these things. And um, banks obviously need to catch up with that thinking and and adopt this mentality and learn how to really act with this level of speed and agility. Um, to give you some context, uh, Corey, Michael, what you guys have been up to, uh, on the 22nd of July, IBM launched the Public Cloud for Financial Services. Um, I really like the idea that you were like, do you know what, we'll do this with a, a couple of small organizations first, uh, BNP in Europe, MUFG in Japan, and Bank of America as anchor clients. So that's, uh, as far as like a trio goes, that's uh, a pretty decent start in terms of getting real momentum in that side of things. Um, but equally, 28 ISVs as well. So that's independent software vendors. And that's super, super important, and I'll, I'll come back on that in a second. Um, IBM are working with their banking clients to bring them onto the cloud and make cloud more accessible to their clients. And really, gonna, we're going to start by unpicking that a little bit more and really understanding what that means. So, Corey, Michael, can you guys start by really just telling us a little bit more about what the IBM's product is? Okay, I'll go ahead and say um, that the IBM Public Cloud Financial Services, I mean, it does operate on the IBM Public Cloud. It's not a separate cloud. At its core, you know, it really is the public policy framework or the cloud policy framework. This really just establishes those common security controls and operational processes that typically don't exist within the cloud environment. And as you highlighted earlier, it does provide that ecosystem where both the banks and the ISVs and the SaaS providers can come together to get to deliver the benefits of the public cloud, but also in a trusted environment that's capable of supporting both bank confidential data used with critical workloads in an ecosystem of financial institutions, their ISVs and SaaS providers. All of this can transact and operate securely and confidentially in the IBM cloud for financial services. And I think Corey really hit on the key uh, concept, which is a trusted environment. So David, as you were saying at the beginning, banks have been slow to move uh, to the cloud environment. And one of the reasons is that they haven't had confidence uh, that they could do that securely and meet regulatory expectations in the process. So when Corey talks about the trusted environment, we see that as really being key to the offering. 
Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, the, the as we say, fintech is really sort of defining a, a very different approach to delivering capability through to customers. And customers don't really know any different, right? They don't understand how the sausage is made, as it were, in terms of the, you know, the technology that underpins it. But fundamentally, the expectations is changing, isn't it? You know, my expectations of everything on my phone is that every couple of months, it's getting better and progressing and moving forwards. Um, that continuous improvement, continuous change is almost impossible to do when actually your operational capability is gigantic releases and long, you know, broad change. So talk a little bit about the impact of cloud, because it's not just a decision to not have data centers. It's a fundamental change of actually how your operation works, isn't it? It absolutely is. You know, to say that, you know, when you think of some of these big banks, and fintech, you talk, you know, the criticality of the workload, only 20% of applications have migrated to cloud within the financial services industry. Um, you know, thankfully, we had the foresight to say, put this forward before you know, COVID-19 has occurred. Since that has occurred, that has really been a kind of a wake up call. I mean, it has given the banks and ISVs an opportunity to get the support from the overall business to really put the, I guess, resources behind doing that complete migration to the cloud. And it's something that's, you know, customers have been asking for, but I think the banking and financial institutions finally have a no kidding. It's either transform or potentially lose business. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really interesting point. And I, I touched on that a second ago, the ISV side of things, because I mean, one of the many advantages of, of being a, a fintech in this sense is being able to pull together the best of SaaS based players. I mean, you and for all of the things that we've built out with various different people, like one of the most major arguments I remember is kind of getting into not us with somebody else was uh, the need for a big organization to use a enterprise CRM system that cost them, you know, 400,000 pounds, when actually the SaaS-based system that we wanted to implement, because it wasn't sitting in the right cloud, and because the GDPR roll-down wording wouldn't work in the way that they needed it to, it, they weren't able to use the tool that was most sensible for the, you know, the nail which we were trying to hammer. So, I mean, this is a real problem, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think uh, speed is clearly vital for cloud deployments, you know, that ability to roll out new capabilities and new code really quickly. But if you don't have the infrastructure in place, um, sometimes these big organizations just can't use this infrastructure. And it is down to things like wordings. Um, how, how does that legal construct actually align? So I think whatever can be put in place to make the banks and the compliance guys happy has got to be good. Yeah. And we say this a lot. It isn't what you do. It's the way that you do it. And I think cloud for me is the perfect example of that, because the way in which this shapes the whole operation within your organization, the speed of change, the speed to market, the iterations, the size of deployments, the ability to roll these things back in a way that actually you wouldn't be able to do in a more traditional kind of cycle. You know, cloud fundamentally changes everything in terms of actually how your business runs. And that is so needed in financial services. But maybe if we, we touch a little bit on why this hasn't happened, because I mean, I, I feel like this could be a turn into a three hour special if we kind of like unpick all, all of the things on here. But big banks are slow to adopt new technology but cloud is not new at this stage right cloud has been around for a long period of time as something that has opportunities but obviously bank grade capability bank grade security bank grade alignments with regulations is such a bigger thing isn't it so i mean michael what has been the impediment to big incumbent organizations really adopting this 
I think I would put the impediments into two categories. One are the traditional impediments to change, uh, like the cost, the short-term costs associated with moving from legacy applications to the new environment. Another uh, traditional impediment would be the need to reskill or acquire new skills uh, so that your IT security uh, team has the capacity to uh, monitor the delivery of a cloud provider versus your own team. An example of that would be the need to make sure that segregation between multiple clients running on common hardware, that that segregation is effectively maintained. But in the other category, I would put fear. And basically just a fear that the new environment is going to be robust, resilient, and meet regulatory expectations. And so what we've really been focused on uh, since 2018, when we began to lay the groundwork for this product, was to address that second impediment by making sure that this cloud environment would be financial services ready in terms of being able to meet the regulatory expectations for security and protection of consumer data on the public cloud. I think that point about fear is is spot on. And I get it at the organizational level. You also get it at the personal level. Our experience has been people want to do this, but they're not sure how to dive into it. They're not sure their boss will go for it. They also don't have the personal skills. So I think anything that a large organization can bring to help take people on that personal journey and actually give them the confidence that it is backed by regulators is clearly very valuable. Mm. I mean, it's an interesting one as well, because that fear, I mean, if my kid can't watch Peppa Pig on Netflix, it's a very different factor than if actually my financial services organization goes down, right? And actually the ramifications and repercussions of that from a regulatory perspective are very different, right? There's lots of different cases that we've seen of breaches or data being leaked or various different things that have sort of happened over the last, uh, you know, five years. But actually, when it comes to financial services, there is an expectation that these things are treated in a very different way. So, you know, Netflix is great, but Bank of America or, you know, big banking organizations take a very different approach to those things, don't they? So, I mean, what's been the key, do you think, to sort of changing that narrative? Has it been the engagement of the regulator? I mean, we've definitely seen that in the UK market. The FCA's engagement initially with, I think it was Oak North, initially was such a significant turning point for people going, well, if the regulators are okay with this now, it fundamentally changes the dialogue internally. Have you seen that as a real accelerant? I guess I would just hop in and say that probably the biggest accelerant is where the industry has kind of come together and identified that this is an issue and the industry is being disrupted to the point by the non-regulated fintechs around the world saying, hey, we have got to come together and figure out this solution. Cloud is going to make or break us. How can we do that? So, you know, in the partnership between Bank of America and IBM to come together, figure out which controls are absolutely critical and how to streamline that process. I think that's really kind of, you know, it was this is could be the 21st century, you know, Sputnik. This is kind of, you know, our operation to the moon. This is kind of if you get this cloud area right, it's only going to pay off spades and really kind of propel the industry forward further into the 21st century. Well, it's interesting you say that as well, because it's not always the technology discussion, is it? And to your point, Michael, a little bit, you know, you're dealing with um, facts and feelings here. You know, the feelings piece is almost harder to overcome because actually when you sit down and go, look, this is going to be cheaper, it's going to be more scalable, it's going to be more secure. And they're like, yeah, okay, but like, why can't I walk around a data center? And it's like, well, you can't walk around a data center because it's more secure. And actually, like, in, in some instances, it becomes a difficulty 
in a procurement selection process rather than necessarily a, a factual one. Because I've definitely seen in a few instances people be nervous because they, exactly that point, they can't get into a data center, which completely invalidates all of the security if they could. So it's strange. This is not better data centers. This is a different category of how you do business. And that's why I think the the impact of it needs to be felt, not just from a technological perspective, but, but fundamentally the culture impact that cloud adoption has on an organization is really significant. Have you seen that impact, Michael? Yeah, definitely. And I like your point about it being a procurement challenge because it highlights something that's really unique in financial services, which is you can do all of the due diligence you want on your cloud provider. You can have all of the service level agreements and you can have all the indemnification and liability clauses you want uh, in the contract. But ultimately, the regulators hold the bank or the financial institution responsible for whether or not it works and whether or not it's secure and safe. So in this environment in particular for financial services, uh, you don't have the ability to contract around the problem. You have to address it, and that requires good governance. It requires training and awareness, uh, to your point about culture, uh, and it requires appreciation uh, that some of the benefits of a cloud computing environment, like uh, the ability to deploy applications faster and get to market faster, uh, create uh, sensitivities in the regulatory eyes around your change management processes, whether you have good control of those. Uh, so I think the, the point about culture, procurement challenge, uh, is really spot on and it highlights unique uh, challenges in financial services moving to cloud. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, we you live and breathe this stuff. You are always thinking about this and you're all, and this doesn't seem weird to us, right? But it doesn't seem so long ago that actually, I mean, I can remember being in a bank and we had to wait three months to provision an environment to start some development. And it's like, wow, like, you know, we have come a long way and not just a long way in terms of like, you know, bleeding edge of technology, but we've come a long way that actually now this is the way it's done. Like this is the accepted opportunity and technology is driving financial services in such a major way. So, I mean, I guess rolling back a little bit to the to the things that are sort of in maybe inhibiting then. I mean, we've, we've said it's the facts and the feelings. This isn't necessarily the rational minds that we've got to deal with. This is changing how businesses do change. And actually, I mean, Corey, Michael, have you found with the people that you've been working with, this is much about that uh, hearts and cultural transformation, changing those operational capabilities, changing those operating rhythms, because this facilitates 24 7 365 businesses it facilitates continuous development continuous improvement and that is just a fundamental shift in terms of what the abilities can be like what happens when your technology is strategically an advantage to your organization rather than the reason why you haven't been able to do the thing or haven't been able to make it happen that's just such a big mindset change how are you guys helping people with that because that's a big task isn't it you know I would say it absolutely is. Um, one of the areas that you know, we have worked with clients and really have kind of had to work through that transformational shift is, hey, the technology and the security is an enabler. You know, it's one thing to take a mortgage application and make that digital. You still have to go through the same process. I've got to give you information that you already have in a database somewhere else within the organization. Those organizations that are going to be leading in the future and probably are leading now are those that already know if you want to go through a mortgage application, all right, I need these seven bits of information. Well, I've got that in six or seven different uh, databases, pull that out. And then you only need to verify those things and maybe add one or two additional things. So it's going to be the organizations that are leading in the future that 
are really kind of adjusting their business processes to simplify, you know, the, I guess, essential tasks that a customer would want and really kind of deliver that. It shouldn't take days to come back with a mortgage assessment when, in fact, it could be a matter of seconds to do that sort of thing. So that's kind of just one area. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we say 11FS, it's like people have been digitizing these things, you know, and actually exactly to your point, it's like, great, well, I had that piece of paper in a branch and now I have a digital piece of paper in a website. And it's like, that wasn't the promise, right? Like we, we, you know, digital can do so much more than that in terms of actually being able to really expand and create these services that people really need. But that is purely thinking about financial services in a different way, isn't it? And again, you know, the, the expectations being set by, out of financial services industry competitors, you know, not necessarily competitors for financial dollars, but competitors when it comes to mindshare and expectations, that just sets a completely different cadence. But what about on the, Michael, on the data side? Because I mean, one of the things that I've had, you know, many conversations with people about this in the past, people have been like, yeah, but, you know, we want to own our data. Yeah, but it's our, you know, so, you know, our things in our walls where I can go and, you know, I can go take that server home if I really want to. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good idea. Please don't do that. Anybody listening to this? But like, actually, the data part of this and ownership of that data has been a concern, hasn't it? Yeah, data ownership and compliance with the regulatory requirements around uh, data controllers, data processors, uh, those are absolutely key. I think financial institutions have recognized that their data is not necessarily more secure if it's in a private cloud versus a public cloud, uh, provided uh, the cloud provider has got the controls and the documentation in place to keep the data safe. So I see uh, this is a very important subset of the problem and one that is, um, I I think, uh, really rapidly melting away as financial institutions recognize that the actual security challenges are not that different. On that point about the data, I mean, it is an area that we are seeing where technology is an enabler, but it also, you know, the organizations, the financial institutions have to work, you know, financial, I guess the IT organization is what we're seeing. Leading organization is embedded into the various different business use. The technology isn't the add-on after the process. It's embedded throughout the development process, throughout the solution process. Um, so it really does kind of require that rejigging of the imagination and that creation of a new product line, not a regurgitation or a digitization of an existing product line. Mm. I mean, just touching on the points that you both sort of touch on there, the conversation between public and private cloud, because I mean, the tendency for big financial services organization is to take something purposely vanilla and customize it to an end of a degree where you no longer really get the benefit from it, right? Actually, you know, public cloud comes with all of these benefits that you can derive in terms of cost efficiencies and speed. But actually, if you move to a private cloud and you do all of the work to customize it to a standard you have, but that the industry doesn't necessarily recognize or the regulator doesn't necessarily recognize, then actually you're, you're you know, you're taking, a, it's, it's like taking a really fast car and limiting it to 30 miles an hour. It's like, actually, you've taken all the things that are great about it and made it not the thing that it was intended to be. So, I mean, how have you, and I, and I guess this comes to the point of working with the regulator and working with the standards that you need to adhere to from a security, from a data perspective, you're bringing all of the benefits of, of public cloud with the certainty of the private cloud, right? Well, I would, I, I would say that that's right. And I like the car analogy, but you can extend that a little bit. If you were to imagine a world in which 
tires couldn't work on a Ford in the same way that they could work on a uh, GM or on a Renault uh, car, you would have a lot of inefficiencies in the system. And it wouldn't make sense uh, for each auto manufacturer to develop a set of wheels that would only work for that car. And I think um, coming back to something that Corey mentioned a, a few minutes ago, what we are seeing in the financial services ready public cloud is a coming together of institutions to agree on a common policy framework for meeting these uh, security and data protection expectations of the, the regulators. So I think it's really um, this commonality and the recognition that a competitive advantage doesn't really lie in whether you get permission to use the cloud. It's what you do on the cloud um, that has enabled us to, to really get to the next step with uh, some of the leading banks in the world and, and more to come. Yeah. And I would just add that the, I guess, you know, as a highly regulated industry, there are inherent risk if, hey, you know, 10 of the top 25 financial services organizations are on one public cloud or on one private cloud. You know, we need to make sure that there is a, I guess, a risk management aspect to this of balancing that and ensuring that in the event of sort of some sort of crisis that you that a organization can pull that data back and how quickly can they do that? So the replication, the data management uh, comes into play there. And that's something that you specifically, you know, seeing in Europe where, hey, they're starting to write some rules and regulations on. All right. Maybe there does. You know, <laughs> why are we allowing these technology companies to maybe taking up too much or allowing too much risk? by really managing our financial services industry. I mean, Corey, I totally agree with that. I think the diversification of your underlying provider and those services is critical. And actually, one of the benefits of cloud done properly at the higher level stack for me is actually it allows you to start dropping in those best of breed suppliers. I think things like the Wirecard debacle in the last few, you know, people are hooked onto multiple payment rails. Now, maybe that's a specific example, but, you know, cloud providers, actually, you should be able to mix and match a lot of this stuff. And, you know, if one of the big ones is going to go down, um, but actually being able to handle that across multiple providers, I think makes you resilient. And that forces you to rethink how resilience is done as well at the higher level of the technology stack. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? And I go back to my point earlier on. It's it's very different, you know, my Netflix viewage or my Amazon Prime setup than it is actually what it is to fundamentally allow people access to financial services globally. Like that is a, a just a, such a different magnitude of importance, not just from an individual, but from a societal perspective. So uh, the ways in which those things are sort of dealt with is fundamentally different, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And the uh, the pandemic. Uh, together with some very well-publicized outages in financial services, particularly in the UK, uh, have really led to an increased uh, regulatory focus on business resilience. And I should say that's really integral to our strategy uh, at IBM through the acquisition of Red Hat and the use of OpenShift. Uh, we see a future in which it will be essential uh, for cloud consumers to be able to balance uh, workloads across multiple providers and be able to fail over uh, when, when the need arises. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? And a, and a big part of that, uh, and actually you sort of mentioned the, the sort of outages in the UK, I mean, particularly TSB is a very big public example of that in terms of the changes there. Uh, you know, the, the impact that that has is not just on that organization, as you say, but from a regulatory perspective, the regulator then now really needs to get much closer to fundamentally the technologies that are being deployed to understand whether they're comfortable with it or not. Uh, as you sort of mentioned a couple of times here, the approach that you've taken on the security and the regulation side is to 
be proactive rather than reactive, right? It's like getting those guys involved right at the beginning and, and having those open conversations. I mean, is that a particularly big challenge? I mean, particularly in the US, there's, uh, you know, in the UK, we're only tiny. We can go, you can go and knock on the FCA's door. They're just right there in Stratford, you know, like so. But obviously in the US, there's a lot of different regulators and the difference between states and federal. So how have you sort of approached that? Because, I mean, you'll need a, a kind of a small football stadium just to kind of get everybody together. Yeah, well, I, I guess I would say two things. One is the, the FCA really, uh, even though the UK may not um, represent a majority of the world's GDP, um, it still is a leader in this area in particular. And uh, the FSA has done, I think, a really great job of setting some standards and expectations that have since been uh, replicated around the world. A really good example of that is uh, the FCA's uh, supervision leadership uh, making clear to institutions that this is not just a problem for the CTO or the CISO, um, but they're going to talk to the CEO and the board about their IT strategy and how uh, business resilience and their use of cloud computing fits into that. So making this an issue, a boardroom issue and a CEO level issue, I think has been a real service uh, to the industry that the FCA has provided. On the U.S. side, uh, we are seeing a coming together, um, just as we are seeing on the on the private sector side, a coming together of regulators. And so in April uh, of this year, the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council, a council comprised of the main federal financial regulators, uh, issued a joint statement on cloud computing, where they basically took and consolidated uh, existing standards and expectations, updated them, made them specific, uh, to the challenges around the cloud computing environment and then promulgated them. So I, I think we are seeing some rationalization. Uh, the FCA's leadership has been important to that and, uh, and regulators are taking some steps to provide increased clarity. Hmm. It's interesting because, like you say, it's um, sometimes regulator-led changes in that sense mean a lot to the bank's comfort levels, don't they? And I think particularly when we look at, again, this isn't this isn't predominantly just a, I'm going to shut down my data centers and move everything to the cloud. It's It can actually fundamentally change people's ability to work with certain vendors or not with analytical platforms or, you know, all different types of things that they can look to to really sort of take advantage of this. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about the promontory network, the acquisition that you guys made? I think it's, it's really interesting, again, how you're building out these different capabilities within what you're doing. Uh, and that feels like a, another big piece of this. Sure. Well, Promontory is a regulatory consultancy. Uh, we were founded in 2001. Our basic model is to recruit former financial regulators. Uh, I myself joined Promontory from the U.S. Treasury, uh, but we have others who've come from uh, Bank of England, FSA, um, the uh, other U.S. regulators, regulators around the world. And um, IBM acquired us in 2016 with the idea of marrying our regulatory expertise with IBM's major technology initiatives in AI, blockchain, cybersecurity, and cloud. Uh, so what we're thrilled about is that the rationale behind the acquisition is really uh, bearing fruit uh, in this financial services-ready public cloud environment that we've been able to create. 
That's super interesting. Again, it's one of those things people, uh, I don't want to quite say poacher turn gamekeeper on those things, but people really trust people who have had that experience of being on the other side of that fence, don't they? In terms of the, particularly when it comes to the the regulator side of things, you know, it's a an important sort of trust piece. And I guess trust is such a significant part of this change and this sort of paradigm shift as well, isn't it? How are you doing that is that a big part of it having people who have sat on the other side of the table to put in place some of these regulations help people with that level of trust that you're putting in place the right things or is there you know some jedi mind tricks you guys are kind of doing to get people uh, big incumbent organizations to uh, to be really comfortable with this stuff yeah i think um having run uh regulatory agencies at the senior levels uh promontory and ibm are in a position to uh, really advise initiatives like the public cloud initiative on uh, how to actually meet uh, regulatory expectations. So an example of that would be some of these expectations are set in very general terms. In the U.S., the main mantra is your bank has got to be safe and sound. You have to operate your bank in a safe and sound manner. And the translation of those general uh, requirements into specifically what does that mean when it comes to, uh, let's say, a strategy for whether you um, store data within a container or outside of a container. Um, that translation in getting to that detailed level is where we can add a lot of value. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the the sort of move fast and break things doesn't work when you're sort of sitting within the financial services space, does it? I mean, you and you've worked in uh, betting organizations, wealth organizations, big banks, like the the adoption of these things sort of changes, doesn't it? And the approach has to change. Yeah, even scooter companies have figured out that move fast and break things doesn't work anymore. But banks have lived with that for a long time. <laughs> Def, definitely don't break your customers. Uh, that's got to be one of the mantras for sure. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, you know, actually that move fast and break things really has at its core is this ability to make your changes smaller, you know, to be able to roll it out quicker, which is obviously where the cloud thing kicks in really importantly. You know, small changes released constantly and often, you can actually overall reduce your risk if you know what's going out. These big bang approaches historically have caused problems. So I think that's actually where if, if we can push that faster and move to the cloud quicker, you get those smaller releases and actually make things safer overall. Yeah. I mean, it's it's silly things like we're in a world where sometimes people's uh, production environments do not reflect their development environments. It makes no sense in any way, shape or form. Uh, we're in a, a world where, like you say, the entirety of TSB was switch flicked overnight and the entirety of the systems were changed. Like that is just not how technology companies approach change of any level these days. So, I mean, it's not just about the small things though like we say it's the you know the small things are important and as you say you and making change less risky across the board is critical but actually the industry and technology is changing so quickly the advancements around ai and you know uh, and you know natural language processing the things that are happening with blockchain like there's so much technological change happening i mean how how does cloud support people sort of being able to evolve as the new world sort of keeps evolving, Corey, because that for me feels like a, a major part to this is, uh, you know, there isn't just adopt cloud and you're done. It's like, actually, it's a start of a process, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know, I'll go ahead and say that, you know, the FS cloud uh, for IBM is one of those that's uniquely different, that it does have X regulators as part of the IBM ecosystem. It does have the world's largest enterprise security provider as part of the ecosystem. We have IBM Watson, the largest AI. So it brings together these disparate kind of, I guess, parts or kind of influencers that are really driving the forward of the industry. 
And to say that the machine learning, the artificial intelligence, where that is going within the financial services, I mean, you know, some of the ISVs that we are bringing on board are industry leaders in this. And, you know, they need a solution that is, I guess, we can't expect them to have a 20 person compliance organization, you know, so where they would traditionally, I guess, be inhibited of joining something like this. We have made it very simple, very easy. They can quickly onboard and we can get their kind of cutting edge technology out into the space, out into the ecosystem. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, increasingly, this isn't a... I mean, gone are the days that, I mean, the banks uh, have, have liked this in the past. Gone are the days, though, where it's like you've got one single vendor f- providing the entirety of a stack, right? This is a game of integration. And, uh, you know, you and we're definitely seeing this in various things that we're doing at this stage, aren't we? That actually being able to plug and play these things and bring these things together quickly is part of the game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, best of breed uh, services, being able to pull them in quickly, work out what you need, only take that part that you need and not take the whole shebang, I think is really powerful. And I agree, Corey, that, that idea of um, having a stamp of approval for the large organization like IBM saying, yep, we're standing behind this. We can put in those independent service providers. We can actually say, we, we validated this, which makes then, I guess, a large organization like a bank happier to say, I, I will trust this, this provider now, whereas historically I might not have, but I know IBM are behind them or whoever the other cloud providers are. I think that's really valuable. I wanted to give one example of um, some of the things that you're talking about, David, in terms of the ability to make changes and the uh, ability that Ewan was mentioning about the ability to make smaller changes more rapidly. And that's the area of um, the microservices architecture, where banks have got these huge monolithic applications and are really far behind where other leaders like Netflix are, you know, Amazon, in terms of adopting uh, an architecture that's based on microservices, basically small, uh, lighter applications that can um, be changed more rapidly uh, with minimal uh, concern about dependencies on other applications within the bank. But regulators are concerned about the proliferation of microservices uh, in a bank's environment because they feel it might increase the attack surface of the institution and that they need to uh, get confidence that the institution sees that and has um, mechanisms in place to protect that expanded attack surface from cyber intrusion. So I, I think uh, I wanted to mention this example because it really speaks to uh, the ability to make change rapidly and in small increments. But at the same time, it brings a new risk or a new dimension to an existing risk uh, that you have to address. But I guess that's where you need to make sure that your security is holistic. It can't be point solution on a particular service. You now need a much wider, deeper, overarching security mechanism, which everyone talks to. It isn't actually that common. Uh, so if you get that in place, those services become... A good example, I guess, is sort of the zero trust model that Google put forward a few years ago after the intrusion by a state actor. You know, the realization that actually you need to take a much more holistic security mechanism to protect these services. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting because, like you say, the Michael, as, as the world becomes, you know, digital isn't just an access via your website anymore. It's fundamentally the way in which your business operates. And, and actually, as it becomes much more fundamental to your business, then the ways in which you approach these things need to be, as, as Ewan says, much more holistic, don't they, in nature? So it's, uh, it, it is interesting. But, and, and obviously, 
you know, uh, we, we've we've said it a number of times before on the show. Uh, cyber criminals are pretty innovative in themselves. Like they uh, they they have a, a pretty uh, pretty entrepreneurial spirit in terms of the opportunities that they try and seek out. But that again, to to the regulators' point and actually to the organisations' point, means they need to be investing and keeping steps ahead of that to to take it really seriously, right? Um, I, I think um, it's interesting because I mean, where where do you guys think this is going? Because you know, with um, more and more organizations moving towards cloud with more and more uh, vendors being able to create capability that banks can securely consume at that stage. I mean, where do you think the cloud services are going to be going in the next five years or so? Maybe start with you, Corey. Just put you on the spot there, my friend. It's quite all right. I mean, I, I will say we are at an inflection point. Um, this can be all be turned upside down should the regulator specifically in the U.S. decide, hey, uh, something this is getting too much out of control or too much, I guess, uh, ownership within the technology sphere and not enough. Um, but also, I think that there is an opportunity that should the technology, should AI, should quantum really kind of make some progressions here in the next five years, that the industry that we know it will change. And I think there's going to be a, a dynamic at play where you've got these legacy uh financial organizations that support hundreds of thousands of jobs across the world. And you've got another play, these startups or the fintechs that say, hey, it doesn't make necessarily sense that we have an office or a storefront that employs 25 people. How do we kind of balance that? So I think that's really going to be that technologically shift. I mean, we saw it in the agrarian age. I think the next is going to be in the financial services age. You can deliver the services that you need to customers and that customers want and desire. But that's not always face to face. I think there's going to be a, a, a dramatic shift from the you know machine learning, the automation, but then just in general that everything I need is within my cell phone and I don't need to necessarily go into that physical shop. But when I do, I better have a person that's there that's got the resources they need. They can quickly go in, pull up any type of issue that a customer may have. You know, hopefully that's supported by AI and machine learning to quickly, I guess, solve that customer's problem. But I think that's really that dynamic or that kind of shift that we're probably going to see in the next three to five years. Yeah, it's uh, we're definitely seeing it in, like, say, in different geos. This is the the change is really sort of exposing them. Uh, what do you, What do you think, Michael? Is that uh, do you see that vision sort of coming true, in uh, particularly in a five five year horizon? You know, yeah, absolutely. In five years, the question will not be, um, are you really sure you should be running production loads on the cloud? Uh, the question will be, why aren't you running more of your business on the cloud? Uh, so I think in five years, you, Corey's right, you'll see a big change in how financial institutions are allocating their workloads across different environments. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? It seems only seconds ago we were talking about should people have a website and uh, look at us now, how far we've come. So it's, uh, you know, digital fundamentally has changed everything. I mean, you and we'd be out of a job, right, if we're, the, the whole digital thing wasn't happening? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> I'll also kind of just jump on, you know, the, you know, it's important to talk financial services. You've got to talk the banked and the unbanked. The fastest growth is happening, those, is happening through mobile technology, the advancement of mobile technology. You can go to some plates, I don't know, uh, sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, and you may not have access to a bank within 100 miles. It could take multiple days wages in order to get to a bank. 
Now, because of the mobile technology, because of some of the fintech, people are actually able to start up savings accounts, digital transactions. They can sell their goods on markets. And I think that's really going to be, you know, I think we're going to see for the first time probably some of those, I guess, advancements in the less developed economies of the world are going to start to migrate into the financial services industry. I think that's really going to kind of disrupt and shift. It's interesting, isn't it? And particularly in this period with COVID and everything that's happened, uh, I mean, I, I think the you know the the emperor's clothes of of many many organizations technology stacks has really been exposed. That was a really vivid uh, kind of analogy right there, wasn't it? Sorry for listening to that one, but 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 the you know the idea that actually for a, a decade the safety net has been go into a branch and fill it out a form, and actually in a period of COVID where everybody is isolated and you've got to kind of do everything digitally, then actually those who can and those who can't have really been sort of separated. So, you know, I think this is is definitely going to be a inflection point because I think people really get this now. It's like, why couldn't I do those straight through processes? Why couldn't I set up these systems in this way? Why can't I get to, I mean, the, the great thing about fintech, it's shown it isn't just what you do, it's the way that you do it. And the way that you do it might be a, a fundamentally different cost structure, a fundamentally different uh, operating cost structure and operating rhythm of your organization. And if those big incumbent organizations can can get to that as well, well, that's a, a thing of beauty right there, right? So, uh, uh, Ewan, what do you think? Where, where are we going to get with cloud in the next five years? I actually, you know, I, I agree with Corey. I think one of the big changes is things like M-Pesa out in, in Africa and the QR codes that, you know, sort of is happening over in China. That ability to make this stuff faster and cheaper, uh, if, you, if you could make a banking infrastructure that works for, for sub-Saharan Africa, what could that do for, for banking infrastructure in the, in the West? Um, how, how do we? I, I think that the other thing I think is is critical is uh, you're seeing a much more of a move to to SaaS based services, um, not just for for finance, but you know embedding it in in wider wider services. So things like Shopify, uh, you know, make a lot more money now out of their finance side than they than they do really against their their, their general lending of shopping to to clients. I think a lot of other services are going to start embedding finance in their in their jobs to be done. They're going to be embedding finance in their flows. And actually, cloud is helping move this stuff forward. So the banks, how do they help facilitate that? That's the key thing for me. Yeah, I think I think I'd really align with that, and I think I'd align with what all, all of you guys say. I mean, five years from now, hopefully, we're not talking about digital and not talking about cloud, right? It's uh, it's just the way in which these things are really, really done. Uh, and on that note, it's probably a good time to wrap up. So, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion, guys. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you? Starting with Corey, where can people find out more about you personally and the the work that you do at IBM? Uh, well, I'm certainly active on LinkedIn, Corey.Hamilton, as well as IBM Security. Uh, you can find me at ibm.com backslash security. Fantastic. And yourself, Michael? Um, much the same. I'm on LinkedIn. But I think if you want to learn uh, a lot about uh, public cloud, uh, ibm.com, the corporate website, is full of resources on that topic. And we have uh, really great leaders uh, in this space, in addition to Corey and myself, including uh, Judith Pinto at Promontory, uh, Hillary Hunter. Uh, so uh, I, I think I would start with the IBM corporate website. Fantastic. And Mr. Silver, where can people find out more from you? I'm going to go for a trio on LinkedIn. I'm, a, I'm Ewan Silver at LinkedIn, and you can also get me at Ewan at 11fs.com. 
Fantastic. All right, guys, uh, thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps other people find these shows as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social, just search 11FS or FinTech Insider or email us with a suggestion on podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Goodbye.